and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the next few weeks, the Department of Systematic Theology is going to be exploring themes of salvation, each of which is a rich image in itself. Leading off, I get to focus on the gospel in terms of God's creation and recreation. I'd like to begin briefly by suggesting how the Bible tells this story. In the beginning, God created a beautiful and harmonious world filled with incredible beauty and diversity. Think of it as a wonder-filled house, our home. And God formed special creatures from the earth to care for all that he made. That was supposed to be us. He placed us in his world as tenants and stewards. You might say we were to be his house sitters. Unfortunately, things went terribly wrong. Not content to be house sitters, we made a mess of things. We acted as if we owned the joint. Like a wild fraternity house party on a Friday night, we made a mess of things. No, we trashed the place. But God in his infinite love, patience, and faithfulness resolved to put everything right. And so in his son Jesus, he came to clean us up, clean up his house, restore everything, renovate his house, refurbish it, and make it even better than before. That's the story. Now this theme of creation and recreation has some helpful, can, or I should say, has some helpful elements to illuminate aspects of the gospel story or more broadly our Christian teaching. These include one, original sin or human sin, two, God's wrath, three, God's promises and faithfulness, and four, the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus Christ and his church. First, let's consider how this illuminates our understanding of human sin. Creation and recreation make clear that we live in three simultaneous relationships, with God, with each other, and with creation. They're all held together in some ways by the fact that we are embodied creatures. So consider how unbelief plays itself out concretely, physically, in an embodied way. First and foremost, idolatry. Rather than seeking all we need for our body and life from God, we seek it elsewhere. Well, where else is elsewhere? Basically in creation. Idolatry can only occur when we deify the creation and promote the creature to the status of creator. This happens both by those of us inclined toward a secular consumeristic utopia found in human products, as well as those of us who might be inclined toward a pantheistic reverence of the natural world. Second, consider our neighbor. God created us to love our neighbor, but how do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor by taking care of those things upon which our neighbor's bodily life depends. My neighbor, being an embodied creature, depends upon healthy food, clean water, and contaminated air, a place to live, clothing and shoes, emotional and social well-being. I love my neighbor by taking care of those things that my neighbor needs. Conversely, we harm our neighbor by seeking to secure our lives by any means necessary. It's not surprising that family feuds are fought over family farms and inheritances. It's not surprising that nearly every war that has ever been fought has been waged over the desire for arable land, water, and resources like minerals and oil. Third, consider our home creation. God created a a world of incredible diversity and varied creation. Some say over a million different creatures, some say tens of millions. 
In the need to secure our body and life as a result of unbelief, he found it necessary to get as much of creation for ourselves, as much of its fruit and bounty as we can, before it's all gone. As a result, where God made room for all of his creatures on earth, domestic and wild, we often seem unwilling or unable to do so. So creation, creation illuminates something about the nature of human sin. And secondly, consider the wrath of God. In our day and age, I think it's become difficult to speak of God's wrath. In fact, it's probably more offensive to talk about God's wrath than it is to talk about his love. The theme that points to God's recreation can help us bring the wrath of God down to earth concrete and somehow make it manifest. Throughout the Bible, when God punished his prized creatures, he did so by taking creation apart, by dismantling creation. When God judges, creation falls apart. This was most clearly the case when God returned to the earth to its first couple days with the flood during Noah's days. The same was true with plagues, droughts, and exiles, and ultimately bodily death. These were not merely spiritual, i.e. unmaterial things. They pertain to the body, our embodied life. Many of these were special acts of judgment. But in a larger, more general sense, God works the same for you and me. God created his home as a place of harmony and peace in which all his creatures flourished and thrived. Now, by means of the earth, he returns us to the earth in death. Living from the earth is hard. Cold and heat can kill us. Lack of clean water and sanitation carry diseases that can kill us. Time wears us down. Our bodies give out. And our fellow creatures... We often live in as much fear of them as they live in fear of us. We each try to stuff the other down our throats for food, according to Ernest Becker. Animals carry diseases that can be transmitted to humans, rabies, West Nile virus, plague, salmonella, bird flu, swine flu, you name it. The curse that God placed upon the earth in Genesis 3 continues to manifest itself in innumerable ways today. So creation and recreation helps us get a handle on how to speak of the wrath of God today as well. Third, theme of creation and recreation tells us something about the promises of God. Yeah, God curses, God judges, but in order to rebuild, it's sort of like home reconstruction. Tear down the rotting wood, the moldy walls, before you rebuild. And renovate God promised. and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. So consider the covenant again in Hosea 2.18.
Lord God, Lord, make for them a covenant on that day that the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground are going to think that they're going to have life. And then he attaches Romans 8, 14 to the child to be set free from its bondage to death and obtain the freedom of those who are children of God. And then with our text today, consider the bookends, the opening chapters and the closing chapters of the Bible are framed with Genesis 2 speaking of a garden in Eden with rivers flowing through it and the tree of life in the midst of it. Revelation 21, the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, Jerusalem comes down, so to say. And in this garden city, a river runs through with the tree of life that people call the Bible. And this comprehensive vision of the new creation that God is bringing about begins with the resurrection of Jesus' body and the resurrection of our bodies. And that brings us to the fourth point. The theme of creation and recreation illuminates something about the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ and the creation of his church. Here we might connect Genesis 1 with John 1. The one through whom all things were made now enters the world. Mystery of mysteries. The creator became a creature. He becomes a human creature, for it's with human creatures that the ruin began. It's with human creatures that the cleansing, renovation, and renewal of creation must also begin. And so Jesus becomes a human creature in order to recreate us in his own body by suffering the dismantling of creation by virtue of his death in God's judgment and by ushering in the new creation with his resurrection. And so he comes to restore his creation, you and me, to God, to each other, and to creation. He goes out to be with the wild beasts in the fulfillment of Isaiah 43, where God does a new thing. New springs sprout forth or spring forth in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts will honor him, the jackals and the ostriches. He comes to heal bodies, feed bodies, raise bodies up. All of this summarized nicely in Colossians 1.15, where the firstborn of creation is also the firstborn of the dead who reconciles all things to himself. By re-renovating, renewing you and me, his human creatures, he gathers us as the new human community. We are the new creation. And how does he make us the new creation? by means of the first creation. The water that gives us life now gives us new life. The bread that nourishes our bodies, the wine that makes the hearts glad and are united with the body and blood of Christ. And in doing so, he makes us his partners. We now bring about our, not that we bring about our renewal, but we can ask the question, how do we live on the little patch of earth where we find ourselves? as a home, as a congregation, as a seminary. We do not make all things new. At most, we help hold things together, patch things together, hold things together till Christ finishes his work by the Holy Spirit. In the process, we gain glimpses of the new creation to come. A creation, that, new creation that begins with Christ, works through us, and extends to the entire world. 
And perhaps most importantly, the new creation does not offer us an escapist hope. It offers us a real bodily flesh and blood hope. It offers hope to the woman in Konzo, Ethiopia, who carries 50 pounds of water on her back three times a day as she goes to a muddy river to, gain, to scoop up water for her family. It offers hope to hundreds killed by cholera in Haiti. It offers hope to married couples who find themselves fighting over how to make ends meet. It offers hope to those who find their bodies racked with cancer. It offers hope to those who grieve over empty oceans and silent skies. It offers hope to those who grieve babies. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, for when he comes, he'll make all things new. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.